Good evening. It's great to see you here this evening. Hope everyone's having a good night. Uh, it's certainly great to, to be with you here at Mobile. I've been looking forward to getting, getting to know each of you and uh, to sharing some of the things that I've been studying with you. Um, we're going to be studying in 1 Peter chapter 2 tonight. If you want to go ahead and be getting out your Bibles and turning there, it's primarily where we're going to be. Um, I want to say I appreciate you allowing me to come here. Um, I'm still in a training program right now, and uh, I know that that's uh, a mixed bag. You don't really know what you're going to get. We'll see, but uh, hopefully uh, what I provide tonight will be helpful to you in your walk, and uh, hopefully uh, it'll be helpful to you in some way. Uh, the series that I've chosen to study with you this week is really just kind of accumulating some different lessons that I've done. Some different Bible studies that I've had in the Old Testament uh, have led me to the New Testament studies that we're going to be doing to, uh, throughout the rest of this weekend. Uh, I've been studying in a lot of the prophets, and I never really dug into those much before, but uh, one of the things that's kind of stuck out to me is what God has always desired. Uh, you, get, you get a sense of God's personality in the prophets. That's the, the real beautiful thing about the prophets. Uh, and, and one thing that we see as we look into the prophets is that God really wants a people. Uh, and we see that throughout the Bible. He really wanted a people. He really uh, is, is heartbroken at the loss of the people that, that He had done so much for. But we also see the, the messianic message of God's going to have a people. And that's what really encourages us whenever we get to the New Testament is that we see God is, is, is creating His own people that, that are His people, that are renewed, that are restored, uh, that, are, that are now what they ought to be. A couple of texts in the Old Testament that really help us to see the difference. In Isaiah uh, 29, 13-14 it says, And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men, therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and they shall discern of their and the discernment of their dis, discerning men shall be hidden. You get a picture here that, that God's not satisfied with what they're doing. They're, they're, they're offering praise to God with their lips. They're, they're making sacrifices, as he says in other prophets, but the main problem is their heart is far from me. Uh, that's, a, that's a very big issue with God. God's not okay with us uh, doing all the motions but not having a heart that is desiring to do His will that, that, that really loves Him. And in Ezekiel, in chapter 36, you might uh, recall this text. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You get the picture that God's going to create a people who who are now obedient, who are now uh, having a heart that is willing to be changed, not a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. And this is what he pictures for us that the New Testament is, is revealing. Whenever we get to the New Testament and we read about what Jesus
Jesus has done as He came on this earth, what we're reading about is God fulfilling these things. Him creating a people that are different than the Old Testament people. A people who have a heart that really desires Him. And that's essentially what all the sermons this weekend are going to be revolving around. As we look at different New Testament texts, how can we be what this description is? How can we be the people who God had anticipated creating in the Old Testament, who He had planned for and done all this work to to make for Himself? And so tonight we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. And in this text what we find is a description of God's people from the New Testament perspective. Uh, This is what uh, Peter, an apostle of Christ thinks about God's people. This is the way he describes them. And and this is what they do. And I think this is a really good description for us. Let's start out reading verses 9 and 10. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This text helps us to to grasp the idea of who are God's people? What what does God think about His people? How does God view His people now under the new covenant? And He uses a lot of descriptions for us. There's a lot given here, but you can sum it up in three descriptions. And that's the way that we're going to be looking at it tonight. The first description we see is, you are a chosen race. And and he ends with uh, a people for his own possession. So the way that you can picture God viewing his people is that he is choosing a people for himself. They're going to be his people. And, and this is what he's always wanted. You look back at Genesis and you see from creation, he has this choice that he makes among all the race, right? All the animals that are there, he chooses the human race. And this is going to be the, the, the race that's going to bear his image and he's going to have a relationship with them and he's going to walk with them and talk with them and, and they're going to love each other and have that Uh, relationship. This is what God has always desired. And now what Peter says is, you are that chosen race that God has always desired for His own possession. But notice how whenever he says this, there is a criteria that he's using. He's choosing a race. He's he's making a choice among the people of earth. It's not just... uh, you, mankind, are a chosen race. He's talking specifically to Christians and saying, you are that chosen race that God has selected among mankind to be His possession, to be His people. And the the implication that they are His possession is that they belong to Him. They don't belong to the world. They don't belong uh, to themselves. They belong to Him. He has chosen them based on this criteria. They are precious to Him. They are His treasured possession. He will not share them with anybody. They are all His. This is the way God views this renewed people that He foretold in the Old Testament. Well, that means for us that we need to be thinking about God's people this way. That God views His people like this. That they belong 
to God. They don't belong to themselves, but they belong to God. Second, we see that they are called a royal priesthood. Uh, It's interesting to see those two phrases together. The idea of being royal and being a priesthood, that's not typically joined together. Uh, When you think about royal, what do you think about? You think about a relative of the king, right? A a child of the king or a a brother of the king. They're the royal family. Uh, And this is what Jesus shows us in the New Testament. He says to his disciples, when you pray, call on him as your heavenly father. He is your heavenly father. You have a close relationship with God, closer than in the Old Testament. There is, you're now a member of the royal family. Uh, and, and in Hebrews chapter 2, we see that he's, he's not ashamed to call us his brothers. We are brothers of Christ. We are a member of the royal family. And that's what God's people are, are typically uh, supposed to be seen as in the New Testament. They are members of that royal family. Well, you think about being a member of the royal family, there's a lot of benefits to that. And there's a lot of power to that. And throughout Scripture, we get that picture, and and we're also going to get that picture in verse 9, that they are ruling over darkness. They've come out of darkness. They're now in His marvelous light. Darkness no longer has power over them. They are able to to rule and conquer over the the death and the sin and, and all those things that once enslaved them. But then you've got mixed with that royal idea, the idea of a priesthood. In the Old Testament, priests are able to draw near to God. They're the ones who are allowed to enter into the holy place. And only the high priest can go into the most holy place. But what we find out in the New Testament, Jesus has torn the veil and said, all of my priests can go into the holy of holies. And that's what's revealed to us in in the book of Hebrews. So there is a relationship with God that is different than before. But it's not just that, it's it's also that they serve. Priests bring God to the people by teaching the people. This is what this is the function of priests. And so they are royal, yes, but they're also servants in, in the kingdom. They're serving God by bringing His message to the people. And then they're, they're offering up sacrifices on behalf of the people in order to worship God. So they're this, this kind of intermediary between God and the rest of the people in the nation of Israel. That's the way the Old, Old Testament pictures that. So some way, somehow, we are royal and we're also priests. Uh, and we'll, we'll look into that a little bit more as time goes on. But... But just just try to conceptualize. This is who God's people are. And then third he says, you are a holy nation. The idea of being holy is that of being a people who are set apart from the nations. That they are a people, a group that is not like those around them. They are they're different. And, and holiness is a big deal to God. God makes a huge deal out of holiness in the Old Testament. Uh, The book of Leviticus is all about holiness. And that if you don't respect the holiness of God, that you don't set Him apart from all the rest of the gods, then like Nadab and Abihu, He might consume you. He might destroy you or judge you. So that holiness is always a big deal to God. And notice how He calls them His holy nation. This is who God's people in the New Testament are. 
they, they're different, they're, they're peculiar, they live differently because they're, they're trying to, to be holy, to be good, to be righteous like God is. And also, they're peculiar because they're only serving God. You think about in the Old Testament... God's people were the only ones that only served one God. And that's the way God wants it. He wants them to be set apart, to be distinct, to be those who serve Him and Him only, and, and serve Him in a way that's different than the way that the world tends to serve their gods. This is supposed to be a different group of people. So now we get the picture of God's people that Peter's given us, but we need to start thinking about ourselves. Okay, so we got this concept that God's people are uh, this chosen race as His possession, that they are this royal priesthood, that they are this holy nation. Do we typically see ourselves this way? Is this the way that we consider ourselves as we're out living our lives, as we're coming to church services? Is this the way we view ourselves? Um, do you consider yourself chosen? Uh, this, this kind of sounds uh, Calvinistic, right? I mean, we talk about the elect, uh, those who are um, chosen. There's, there's ideas given throughout Scripture that there are a group of people that God is selecting to be His possession. Do we, in, in response to the, the Calvinistic ideas, do we reject the idea that we're chosen or do we really consider ourselves to be chosen by God? Uh, what is the criteria by which God chooses? Well, we see this in the Old Testament uh, and we see this in the New Testament. We just saw it in Isaiah that God cares about the heart. Do you remember David uh, whenever Samuel is selecting who's going to be the king? In First Samuel chapter 16, Samuel goes up to, to Jesse, the father of David, and says, bring your sons before me, I'm going to anoint one of them king. And, and Jesse brings up his seven sons, and, and Samuel looks at the firstborn and says, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And God says, nope, that's not him. And he goes through all, of, all seven of the sons before him, and God says, no, it's not any of them. And then you remember, it's really interesting Samuel says, is there another son that you're forgetting about? And, and Jesse says, yeah, there's David. He's a shepherd. It's kind of like he's the pipsqueak. We don't pay him any attention. And then God says, I want him. This is the way that God chooses. It's not based on the externals. Uh, it's based on the heart. That, that, uh, the heart that is desiring, that is after God's own heart is what God is, is really looking for. Uh, Jesus clarifies this criteria in the Sermon on the Mount. You remember how He talks about blessed are the poor in spirit, the meek, those who mourn, those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. These are all characteristics of who God is going to select in order to bless them. Uh, and then in 1 Corinthians, we see the selection process as Paul says, not many wise were called, not many noble... Uh, he's, he's pointing to the fact that those who are proud reject the foolishness of the cross and what God has done. So by preaching the cross, God is able to filter out the proud and to create His own special people 
who are humble, who are lowly, who are loving Him and caring about what He wants. It's never really about externals. It's not about where you come from. It's not chosen race is not based on skin color. Uh, chosen race is not based on who your family is. You know, the Jews thought we are the chosen race because we're descendants of Abraham. And, and Paul blows that up and says, you don't have the faith of Abraham. So we see there's something more that God desires in order to have a special chosen people who are His possessions. He wants a heart that is desiring to be His. That, that longs to be called a child of God. That that's what they are consumed with. That's their mindset. That's what they're focused on. That's who God really wants. In an in a Old Testament text that we're about to look at, in Isaiah 44, we see that God anticipated His people really desiring to belong to Him. Listen to how this is worded. It talks about the blessings God is going to pour out on His people and then what they will do in response. He says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour My Spirit upon your offspring and My blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob and another will write on his hand the Lord's and name himself by the name of Israel. This is the way he anticipated God's people viewing themselves, that, that they belong to the Lord, that they are chosen by God. So what do we need to do? We need to go out and we need to go get some tattoos, don't we? Belonging to the Lord, right? <laughs> yeah, my wife would probably kill me for that. But, uh, you know, this is the picture that God's people love Him and care for Him and desire to be called God's people. That they, they want to belong to Him. They don't see their life as being their own. They don't see their hands as being their own as though I can use them however I want to use them. I can use my eyes however I want to use them. They're mine. I have a right over them. No. He says... They're God's. This is the way God's people view their lives. We belong to Him. The next thing that he says is that we're royal priests. Well, do we see ourselves serving as royal priests? Um, you know, the idea there, as we said, is royal means we have power and priests means that we have work to do. Do we see ourselves with power? Do we see ourselves with work? And are we willing to, to get out there and do the work that, that we've been given to do? Notice how Peter puts it in, in verse 9. He says, uh, You are a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Here's a picture of God's people doing God's work. And God's work is proclaiming the excellencies of Him who has called you. Is this the way that we see our work? That, that we're supposed to go out and overcome the darkness by letting His light shine through us. 
This is our work on earth. That we are God's people who are blessed with this opportunity that we get to go out and proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us. We recognize how excellent He is. We know Him. We know His love. We know what He's done for us. And we want to share it with everybody else and help them to see it. This is the way God had desired His people to be. And how are we going to do that? Well, He tells us in verses 12 all the way down through verse 25. What does it mean to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you? He, he explains it. We don't have time to look at all of that. But verse 12 summarizes it uh, and, and sets it up. He says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is how we proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called us out of darkness and into light. We act in a certain way. We live in a certain way that shows how excellent our God is. We are a demonstration of that excellence to all of those around us. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, notice how that's a foregone conclusion. Everybody who is out there in the darkness... Do you think they're going to like to see the light that tells them they're in the darkness? Well, a lot of them aren't. I mean, you tell somebody that they're do- what they're doing is wrong, they probably won't like it. So what are they going to do? Well, whenever they're living in the darkness and the rest of the world is darkness and you're different from darkness, you're the light, well, that means you're doing evil. They're going to call what is good evil and what is evil good. That's that's what God knew they would do. And so we don't need to be surprised when they do this to us, when they call us evildoers for just telling them the truth, for just proclaiming the truth that God has shown to us. This is our responsibility. We're God's people. We're serving as royal priests who have power over the darkness that is around us. And this is the way that we're supposed to do it. But he says, when they act this way, in response to the truth, what are we supposed to do? Threaten? Uh, (laughs) Can you imagine somebody uh, saying, you know, you, you just voice your opinion about abortion or something like that, and somebody actually going to the extent of causing you to lose your job or losing your family or losing your house or losing whatever, or, or maybe even being thrown into prison for just telling them the truth. Can you imagine the feelings that you would have inside of you when someone says that kind of stuff? I mean, if somebody, if somebody takes whatever truth I've given them and they, they decide that I am now evil and they actually cause me a lot of harm and a lot of suffering, and, and especially if they're ugly to me. I'm not used to people being ugly to me. It's going to be really hard not to respond by at least rebuking or or threatening or saying something that is not really what I should be saying or maybe even punch them in the face if something is bad enough. You know, I mean, it's like people know how to push us beyond our limits. And so we're going to struggle inside to overcome our desires to do those things. But here Peter says, keep your conduct honorable. How do we proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called us out of the darkness and into the light? 
We do good even when they do evil against us. And notice the result. They may see your good deeds and glorify your God on the day of visitation. We're proclaiming the excellencies of Him who has called us by doing what is honorable in the face of evil and letting the light shine. We're reflecting the mercy that God has shown to us by being merciful to those around us. And this is the way God's people are supposed to act. Just think about all the different things that can keep us from letting this light shine, from proclaiming the excellencies of God. I mean, we're busy, uh, we're distracted, we are uh, in pain or suffering. I mean, if I get a headache, it, it becomes really hard to focus. It's Think about all these situations that we're going to find ourselves in where we're going to be tempted to act in a way that is not honorable, uh, that is dishonorable to those around us. So, are we really willing to serve as a royal priest in those instances? This is the best opportunities that we have to glorify God. He goes on to say that this is a credit to us when we do this. this is, we are giving a gift back to God whenever we act this way. We are, we're, it's a gracious thing that we're doing in serving God. We're acting like Jesus did on the earth. The third thing that he says is uh, that we are a holy nation. Do we see ourselves as a holy nation and the need that we have to be holy? Uh, Do we feel like we are really holy uh, as we're living our lives? Or do we struggle with the idea that we're holy? Notice back in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, verses 15 through 21, he, he, he quotes from Leviticus and talks about holiness. And he says... Verse 15, But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from your feudal ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last time for the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, that your faith and hope are in God. This text starts out with, Be holy. You shall be holy, for I am holy. This is the expectation that God has for His people. And then He gives us a reason why. He says, because God has given you the best He can. He has has bought you. He has purchased you. That you might be His people. That you might be His possession. He has paid the ultimate price to possess you. He has given His Son that you might be forgiven of your sins. That of a precious lamb without blemish or spot. We realize that our God is holy and that He loves us and that He's willing to do this for us. Are we we willing to live a life devoted to holiness? 
The opposite of holiness is rebellion. Uh, we, we hear something we don't like. Uh, we read something that doesn't quite line up with the way that our life is going right now and what makes us comfortable. Uh, and, and we realize we might have to change things in our life. Uh, and we don't like it. <laughs> but we, do we see that as rebellion? Because that's, that's what it is. We're, we're being rebellious when we're acting this way. Uh, how many times do we, do we find ourselves being rebellious of some sin in our lives? And how many times do we have to turn to think, well, am I going to try to be holy for God or not? Am I going to try to be His special possession? Am I going to try to be different from the rest of the world around me? Or am I going to give in to this sin perpetually and be rebellious against God? I have to make a decision. Uh, and the decision that we have to make is to just give up those things. Notice how in that text he calls us exiles. And then also notice verse 9, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Do we see ourselves as exiles, as, as sojourners? I think a lot of times one of the things that hinders us from, from being uh, sojourners and exiles is we, we kind of want to fit in to those around us and we kind of see other people sinning and we think, okay, well that's okay uh, for me to do that. Everybody else around me is doing it. But notice how he talks about this. We are sojourners. We are exiles. We are not, this is not our home. We're pilgrims here uh, in, a, in, a, in a foreign land. And so this is the way we need to view ourselves. We are not like everyone else. We are God's people. Look at verse 10. He says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What makes us different from everybody else around us? We're God's people. Notice how he doesn't say, once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you were not good enough, but now you are good enough. What's interesting about this idea of holiness is, a lot of times if you're like me, you kind of beat yourself up about this stuff, right? I'm not holy. I, I find out that I'm doing something wrong, and it's like, well, how can God forgive me for that? How can He accept me? I'm supposed to be holy for Him, and I'm failing miserably. But we have to remember that God did not choose a people who were already holy, who were already righteous, who were already good. It's not as though we come out of the waters of baptism and He miraculously touches us to make us never have any temptations ever again or that we're called to glory and we don't have to live in this world of darkness. Holiness is because God is willing to give His Son as an as a ultimate sacrifice for all our sins. We're striving after a holy life not because... We, we know that we can attain it and that we are great and holy and pure and righteous and good, but because we know that God will make up for where we lack. And we love Him for it. So what do we do? We abstain from 
our sin. We, we reject sin. We don't rebel against God. We rebel against the world that's all around us. We become sojourners and exiles among all those around us. And we become the weird people, uh, basically, who don't do what everyone else does. Look what he says in verse 11. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your souls. What is that? Abstain from the passions of the flesh. A lot of times I'll read stuff like that and I'll think, abstain from sexual immorality. Passions of the flesh. That's what that means. That's not really what he had in mind. If you look at it, there's other translations that say worldly desires. And that's more broad than just sexual immorality. There's, there's more to be said about this. In fact, back in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Here he mentions some worldly desires, some passions of our flesh that are in us that are outside the, the realm of sexual morality. It seems a lot like the works of the flesh that are mentioned in Galatians 5. These are, these are internal desires that we have to promote ourselves, to, to exalt ourselves. Notice malice. Why would you have malice towards someone? Well, they've mistreated me or someone that I know or someone that I love. And that's something we're supposed to abstain from, that we're supposed to put away. Notice he says deceit. He doesn't say lying. You know, we might say, I, I don't lie anymore. But, you know, do we bend the truth whenever it suits us, you know, to make things a little easier for us? Well, God's people are striving for holiness, and holiness strives not to deceive other people. This is... This is a, a, a worldly desire, a passion of our flesh. What about hypocrisy? Do we put on a show that everything is good? <laughs> Don't worry, I am holy and righteous and pure. But inside, we're a mess. Are we envious? Are we slandering? I mean, these are all internal problems. Notice how this relates to God choosing a people who have a heart that is different, a heart that wants to do His will, a heart that loves Him and desires Him. There needs to be a heart change that changes us from the rest of the world. It's not just that we abstain from such and such different sins, but that our heart's desire is totally different from everyone else around us. This is the way that God saw His people being when He sent His Son to die for them. This is the way He saw them becoming holy and good, desiring to put away all those sins from our lives and living as perfectly as we possibly can to serve our God and to show Him how much we love Him. And this plays a part in proclaiming His excellencies, right? Being holy, being different, also proclaims His excellencies. So... Hopefully we see ourselves as God's people. And as we, as we study through this text, we're challenged to make sure that we make this our own. Uh, that, that we are His possession. We don't belong to ourselves. My house is not mine. My car is not mine. My wife is not mine. My children are not mine. Uh, my money is not mine. Nothing that I have is... My hands are not mine. Nothing that I have belongs to me. Because I am God's. And I'm here for the purpose of serving Him with the time that He gives me.
on this earth. Hopefully we see that we're here to proclaim His excellencies to the world around us living in darkness. They're going to call us evildoers. They're going to mistreat us. They're going to, they're going to say and do things that make us never want to try to talk to them again or proclaim anything, any truth to them. But we're here for this purpose and we are a royal priesthood. The darkness fears us. We don't fear the darkness because God is on our side as we go out into this world. He is our family. He is, uh, Jesus is our big brother <laughs> and He's going to take care of us. So we have nothing to fear. And if, if we suffer in this life, then we see that as us being able to give back to God something after all that He's given to us and all that He's blessed us with. So we're, we're living this life not for ourselves. We're living this life to proclaim His excellencies. We're living His life to be a holy and righteous people who are to the praise of His glory and who bring others all around us to glorify His name because of how excellent He is. We are the people of God. In the Old Testament, they failed miserably at this. What are we going to do? Uh, in, in the book of Hosea, you get this picture of God loving His people so much. And, and he, he has Hosea marry a prostitute who is so evil. And, and He still loves her. And she does evil and, and is unfaithful to Him. And He still is willing to accept her back and show love to her. It's interesting. He, he names the prophet's children... No mercy, because I will have no mercy on my people. And then not my people, because they are not my people. Because they are rebelling against me. But after that, he says, I will have a people in the future. And they're, they're going to be like the sand of the sea. Their number is going to be innumerable. And this is what God had planned for us. That we would become this great nation that, that serves God and brings Him glory and honor. The mercy of God is offered to all of us. God is abundant in His grace and His mercy toward us. Without His mercy, we would be nothing. That We, we would be not a people. We would be uh, just one of the millions and billions of people on this earth who are living in darkness. But His mercy has been shown down to us that He is willing to pay the price of His own Son to redeem us out of this world and bring us into His marvelous light that we can serve Him and have a home in heaven with Him when this life is over. Is this what we're willing to do as God's people? Are we really willing to have a renewed heart and a renewed mind that serves Him only and stop serving ourselves and what we want. Uh, if, if you're here tonight and you know what you need to do to be saved and you haven't put on Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you're, you're not a, a member of God's people. Uh, he wants you to be added. He loves you. He wants you uh, to see the light and to come into the light. And if you know what you need to do, please don't delay. Please come as we stand and sing.